This week on WealthTrack, the day trading antithesis. In part two of our interview with Richard Bernstein, we discussed time-tested strategies for successful investing. You've got a 90% chance of making money as you extend that time frame. And so patience or time is on your side. I never understand why people don't take advantage of that. It's one of the easiest risk reduction tools in, in investment. Influential strategist Richard Bernstein, this week on Consuelo Mac WealthTrack. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, ClearBridge Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. Have you noticed? Speculation is rampant. Random investors seem to be making money hand over fist in numerous assets. Disruptive companies like Tesla, whose stock has soared in the last year. Old economy stocks like GameStop, the video retailer sponsored by online communities of investors, trading on commission-free trading platforms like Robinhood. There are billions of dollars being wagered on initial public offerings, newly minted companies going public for the first time. And on IPO hybrids, SPACs, the special purpose acquisition companies, which have raised more billions going public with the intent of investing in unidentified private companies. Then there is Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies setting new records. And let's not forget the art market. Recently, a software-created digital piece of art titled Every Day's The First 5,000 Days was auctioned for $69.3 million at Christie's. According to the New York Times, the JPEG was minted in February as a non-fungible token, or NFT. was the first purely digital NFT sold by Christie's, and it offered to accept payment in Ethereum, another first for the 255-year-old auction house. I will add the Times headline read, NFT mania gathers pace, and the article noted that $69 was more than paintings by acknowledged masters like Turner, Seurat, and Goya. So do you feel like you're missing out as the world moved on? Well, not so fast, says this week's guest. He is Richard Bernstein, Chief Executive and Chief Investment Officer of Richard Bernstein Advisors, where he oversees or advises over $12 billion in assets, largely in multi-asset allocation strategies for financial advisors using ETFs, and also including two mutual funds under the Eaton Vance name. In his previous life as Merrill Lynch's longtime chief investment strategist, he was inducted into the highly selective Institutional Investors Hall of Fame for his 18-year tenure on its prestigious All-America research team. Rich has also been a regular since WealthTrack's launch in 2005, and we've weathered our share of booms and busts. I asked him to characterize the recent instances of speculative behavior. It's it's kind of what one would expect, given the amount of liquidity that the Federal Reserve is trying to pump into the economy and the, the, the associated fact that the banks are relatively hesitant to lend. 
right? So you've got all this liquidity. It's not making its way into the real economy. It's not making its way to companies to invest in plant and equipment or, or hire new people or things like that because they can't, they're not getting loans. So what happens is that that liquidity flows to the financial markets. And when you consider the amount of liquidity that the Fed is trying to pump into the economy right now, right. this level of speculation is kind of what you would expect. What do you say to the younger generation, you know, Robin Hood traders, GameStop, the interest in, in SPACs, these special purpose right. acquisition companies where a company goes or investor, you know, takes the, the SPAC public and without uh, telling anybody what private company they're going to buy and take public as well sometime in the future. I mean, there's all this stuff going on. And but, you know, they're looking at you and me and it, Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett and saying, you guys are out of touch. We're making a ton of money hand over fist right. and we're doing it really fast. Right. What do you say to them? I, I say to them that let's let's slow down for a second and let's look a little more objectively at the data and how through time day trading, um, which is really what's going on on a lot of these platforms, day trading is like flipping a coin. It's roughly 50-50. It's a little bit better than 50-50, but roughly a 50-50 proposition as to whether you make or lose money in a day. And, now, and this is based on research. This is it's not just based something on that you're saying. Absolutely. Right. Empirical data going back decades. Yep. You can see that this happens. And there are periods in time where you get speculative markets and everybody thinks that they're the smartest person to invest ever and they know better. And then the markets turn against them and they lose the money. So I, I think the, the important thing for people to remember is that in a short period of time, like day trading, nothing changes in the economy. Nothing changes for corporations. The, for the economy to change takes weeks and months. It doesn't happen within a day. So what that means is you're trading on pure noise, which is why it looks like a coin flip, because there's nothing actually changing and you're trying to play the momentum game within a day. That's not a very, a very smart way to invest through time. And history shows that. History shows that as you extend your investment time horizon, your probability of losing money goes down. Your probability of making money goes up. Why? Because as you extend your time frame, you're investing more for fundamentals and less on noise. And that's what I always tell younger people is if you're 25 or 30, think about how many years you're, you have in your time horizon here out into the future. You should take advantage of that. Time is on your side instead of trying to day trade and flipping a coin. Rich, what about momentum? And there are a lot of, you know, smart money institutions mm -hmm. that are making in momentum investments all the time. Yes. So, you know, momentum investing, I'm not a momentum investor, right? Mm -hmm. But there but there are momentum investors and some of them are very successful. However, what differentiates a good from a bad momentum manager is not what stocks they buy. It's very easy to find a momentum stock, right? As we talked about a few minutes ago, a lot of individual investors with no experience can easily spot a momentum stock. That's not the difficult part. The difficult yep. part is figuring out when do you sell it? That's the hard part. In other words, if you think back to the tech bubble, who was the investor who sold technology stocks in March of 2000 right at the peak? It was easy to find all those technology stocks, but who sold right at the peak? Very few. With a lot of the stocks that you're seeing right now, a lot of them have started to fall over. Who mm -hmm. sold them at the peak? 
Very few people did. Rather, people are trying to understand why they're not going up anymore, but the odds are they're not going up. That's what momentum investing is all about. Now, you wrote a very interesting piece uh, for your firm, RBA, Boomer Knows Best. It's a little <laughs> self-serving. It is, it <laughs> because is. Because you are a boomer, and I will go along with that, because I'm a boomer as well. Um, so let's take, take us through some of the points in the Boomer Knows Best piece. Um, patience can be an effective risk reduction tool. What do you mean by that? Exactly. That's that's the notion of time is on your side, right? What we found in empirical studies is that as you go from a day to a week, a week to a month, a month to a quarter to a year, to three years, to five years, to 10 years, every step along the way, your probability of losing money goes down very consistently. And this is true in virtually all asset classes with the exception of commodities. But in most asset classes, you will find time is on your side. So the notion that I can day trade and I can be successful is basically the same thing as flipping a coin and getting five heads in a row. You bet heads and you got five heads in a row. What's the probability of the six head? Probably not all that good relative to five in a row. But as you extend your time horizon, if you go out 10 years, your probability of losing money is only like 10%. So you've got a 90% chance of making money as you extend that time frame. And so patience or time is on your side. I never understand why people don't take advantage of that. It's one of the easiest risk reduction tools in, in investment. Rich, what's the hardest part about being a patient investor? And you know, where, where, are the, where, do, where have you seen over the years investors make their biggest mistakes? Right. You know, Consuelo, I wrote a book all the way back in 2000 that was called Navigate the Noise, Investing in the New Age of Media and Hype. And that was like 2000 or 2001. <laughs> and obviously, there's a lot more media and hype these days than there was 20 years ago. That's for sure. Right. But, but I think the hardest thing is to stick to the fundamentals, to understand that there are some basic things that individuals should do to build wealth through time. It's really, it's really not an impossible feat. And so you'd say, well, why don't people do this? Why don't they do these simple things? And the answer is because they're always told they shouldn't. There's something happening at every point in time that says, this is the good thing to do. This is a good thing. And you, the people start bopping around and trying to find what the sexy thing is of the day. That's no way to invest. And I think that that is the challenge for an individual investor is not to get caught up in the hype of the day to understand that there are basic principles that you have to do. And, and the analogy I, I use all the time when I talk to individual investors is that we all know Derek Jeter. I mean, I'm a Yankee fan, but we all know Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter, Hall of Famer, you know, we all, we all know him. But every spring training, no matter how great he was, every spring training, he took ground balls and practiced ground balls. Never failed. You have to master the fundamentals and even the greatest of ball players look at the fundamentals first and master the fundamentals and hone the fundamentals and never, never think they know the fundamentals. They always stick to that. And I think for an individual investor, that is very, very difficult to do. Next point, bad companies make good stocks. And you kind of lost me there. I should be <laughs> investing in low quality companies. That's what you're yes. saying. That's exactly what I'm saying, Consuelo. So, so this is, this is um, there's many different ways to think about this, but first let's do the empirical data. Mm -hmm. Over long periods of time, 
And long you, periods, you're talking about 10 you years? Can do, you can do 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 right. years. So, so think about somebody's, a young person's IRA right. or 401k or something like that. Over those time horizons, what you will find is that bad companies, lower quality companies, outperform everything. They outperform everything. And the reason why is because they are the most, the companies that are most levered to the economy. And through time, the economy expands, right? If so, if you're a bull on capitalism and you believe that capitalism is gonna be around for 30 or 40 or 50 years more, you should invest in the companies that are most levered to capitalism through time. In other words, the success of the economy. Those are those lower quality companies who have one foot out the door, but the economy saves them, pulls them back in through time. Now, there's no free lunch. Right. There's a ton of volatility in these companies, which is why the time horizon is very important. And so the problem and the reason that most people don't understand that low quality companies make very good stocks through time is because you gotta fasten your seatbelt. It's like a roller coaster, right? You gotta strap in, pull the bar back and stay seated for the whole cycle. Very few people do that, right? And that's, that's, the, that's the difficult part. But over long periods of time, bad companies make good stocks. The other way to think about it is that if I know it's a good company and you know it's a good company, the odds are everybody knows it's a good company. And shouldn't that already be reflected in the valuation of the company? The answer to that right. is yes. That's yeah. what history shows. And, and when you're talking about low quality companies, I think the, the research that you were using, it's uh, S&P ranks companies and by kind of their, it's like a credit rating, but you're saying a portfolio of, of C and D rated companies, right. low quality companies, high leverage, whatever, that's what you're talking about. Correct, and the key word you said there is a portfolio. Because right. some of them do check out. I, yeah. I don't want to make it sound like they all survive. Some of them do check out. But in a portfolio, the whole portfolio does well through time. And Rich, as a, as a, you know, a manager of ETFs, multi-asset ETFs, are there any ETFs that represent the, uh, the, the C and the D ranked companies? Well, not really, to be honest with you. So you kind of have to fake it a little bit. The way yeah. we do it is we look at things like small cap value, we look at um, very, very cyclical industries. We look at lower mm -hmm. quality bonds. You know, there's, there's many different ways to try to get at this through I time, but, right. but there's no one ETF to buy, no. And actually it's really interesting because the Russell 2000, I saw this somewhere, that 30% of the companies in the Russell 2000 don't have any earnings. Um, correct. Does that sound That's right? right? Yeah. So it's, it's something right like there, that. at least yeah. you've got 30% of the portfolio that I would probably, most people would call low quality. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And and if you take out the growth companies and you just have access to capital and you look at just the value companies in Russell 2000, then then you're really talking. <laughs> Another point in the boomer, boomer Knows Best is, of course, every generation gets the question, you know, isn't technology changing the world? What's your answer to that? My answer to that is, of course, it does. Right, we, we know that, right? I, I'm talking to you through a technology that basically wasn't, didn't exist 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, right? We know that, we know that's gonna happen. But we have to separate out the stories from the valuation of the assets. And the example that I always give people is the technology bubble. That in 98, 99 and 2000, there were tons of promises made about how technology would change people's lives. The interesting part is they all came true in the next right. decade, or most of them came true, if not all of them came true, but the tech sector was the worst performing sector in that decade, 
and had negative absolute returns during the decade, for the whole decade, the whole 10-year period. So what happened was that the stories were one thing, but the, ass, the valuation of the stocks, the valuation of the assets was so huge that even with those changes, you couldn't get cash flows and earnings strong enough to support the valuations and the stocks underperformed. So number one, we have to realize technology is always changing our life, right? Think about the difference between you know, the, the, the Pony Express, the teletype, the telephone, right. you know, I mean, all these different things. It's always happening. This is nothing new. Um, but number two is you're not investing for stories. You're investing in assets and you have to understand the valuation of the assets that you're buying. Um, one of the things that, that you mentioned as well as you give it an example that there is a difference between the stock market and a horse race. For illustrative purposes, what do you mean right. by that? So, so what that goes to, Consuelo, is I used to teach in the grad school at NYU, and I used to ask the MBA students every semester, what's the difference between the stock market and a horse race? And they always had a tough time. I mean, I used to answer it on purpose just to tweak them a little bit. And, right. and the, but, but what is the difference? And they always had trouble. And the reason they have trouble is that we think of the stock market as we think of horse races. We even say, I'm going to make a bet on company XYZ. No, you're not making a bet, you're investing in the company. And what people forget is that when you invest in stocks, you become a partial owner of the company. And as a partial owner of the company, all you care about is the earnings and the cash flow and the growth of the earnings and cash flow of that company, the success of the company that you are investing in. Think of your, many people probably run their own businesses. Someday they may sell those own businesses. What the valuation of that sale is gonna be based on is the success in the growth of earnings and cash flow of the company that, that they're running. And, and it's the same thing in the stock market. So it's not like a horse race where you're betting on Seabiscuit in the seventh. It's more like you're buying a horse, you're training the horse, you're running the horse in races. Hopefully they win a lot of purses. Hopefully then you can put the horse out to stud and then you'll get stud fees. And it's all those cash flows that you accumulate through time that determines the success of the investment in the horse. That's what the stock market is like. So I know, Rich, you know, it's, it's just, um, it's, it's not as exciting um, as thinking about <laughs> investing in momentum and investing in story stocks. There's no question about it, which is perhaps why it takes the maturity or at least the maturity of some boomers uh, to, to take the approach that actually uh, builds wealth over the long term. And so you, you said a prerequisite, of course, that we talked about earlier is patience mm -hmm. is really important. And, and when you're talking about patience in investing, what do you mean? I, patience by patience, I mean waiting for fundamentals to actually gel. That doesn't happen in a minute. It doesn't happen in a day. It takes weeks, months, years for fundamentals in an economy to change, fundamentals of a company to change. They just don't change that rapidly. Look, Consuelo, if we, if we had a discussion right here and I said, nothing is changing in the future. Mm -hmm. Who would watch the interview, right? Nobody. But you have to understand, not you, one has to understand that in short time periods, nothing changes. It takes a while for things to change. And as you allow those fundamentals to change, investing gets easier and easier and easier as you extend your time frame. So patience is critical. 
And, you know, really, it all adds up to as well is, you know, you kind of summed it up, is buying out of favor undervalued assets right. is the way to make money over the long term. Yes. So out of favor, so they're not popular, right? right. Um, and undervalued, because they're not popular, they're, they're undervalued. But again, you've got to look at the fundamentals, right? Correct. Or do you? You do, but... You know, I, people always, when I say that, you have to buy out of favor, um, you know, stocks with improving fundamentals. That could be large cap, high quality companies. It doesn't always mm -hmm. have to be junky companies. Okay. But you have to understand that that comes at a point where nobody wants large cap, high quality companies, right? You haven't had a period like that in an awful long time. People mm -hmm. have really gravitated towards large cap, high quality companies. So the out of favor right now is smaller and junkier. But that could change, right? And I think people should be open to understanding that it does change through time. It's never going to be always the exact same thing. You know, an another, I mean, asset class that's also uh, undervalued at this point and out of favor uh, is emerging markets, something that mm -hmm. you've talked about in the past. What's your view on emerging markets? Yeah, emerging markets went from being everybody's favorite 10 or 11, 10 or 11 years ago to like nobody cares anymore. And it's, it's really quite extraordinary to see that happen. Um, fundamentals in some emerging markets are improving demonstrably right now. Um, their valuations are pretty cheap. Nobody cares. Uh, it could be the making of a, of a multi-year story that could be very, very interesting. Uh, I would also suggest if people are um, either concerned about inflation or looking for opportunities, depending on whether their glass is half full or half empty, uh, some emerging markets are very sensitive to inflation, right? They're commodity-oriented economies. And so they may be worthwhile to look at uh, if you believe there's, you know, there's going to be more inflation than people think as well. Right. So one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio uh, along, you know, these lines, what would you recommend? Sure. So Consuelo, I would say that people should consider emerging markets, both stocks and debt, which is kind of a weird one. Most people don't think of the debt. You know, if you look at something like emerging market high yield, one would say, gee, that's really risky. But in reality, uh, the default rate among emerging market high yield is lower than the default rate in U.S. high yield. So if you think that the dollar is going to be stable or lose value, it would be worth looking at emerging market high yield. But one way or the other, I think people are probably underweight emerging market assets, period. period. And it's probably mm -hmm. worth thinking about that um, for, for a long-term investment right now. And just to drill down on that a little bit, uh, you know, as, as far as the, the dollar is concerned, are you saying that you think that the trend is that the dollar is going to be either stable or decline versus other currencies? Yeah, we don't we don't forecast currencies per se. You know, right. it's not you know we're uh, it can be very sexy to do that, but we don't do that. But uh -huh. but I do think in a general framework, we do think that the dollar is going to be stable to declining over the next several years. Um, you know, we don't have specific targets or anything like that, but I think that's that's a pretty good guess. And, and Rich, are there emerging market debt ETFs there out are. there? There are. There's, there's plenty of ETFs for both emerging market equity and emerging market debt, um, and they're probably worth looking at. One of the things that we just talked about as well is patience. And mm -hmm. I think you told me that uh, when you were a starting out and a young investor, that you actually bought what was then considered to be an out-of-favor sector too, which we've talked about as the small cap value stocks, and you mm -hmm. just bought a portfolio of those. And tell us about your experience with that. 
right. particular asset class and also what you would recommend for young investors today? So, Consuelo, when, when I was um, in my early 20s, uh, IRAs just became, they started out. And right. um, one of my friends said to me, have you seen the study that shows that small cap value outperforms everything through time? And I said, I have to admit, I said, no. And they said, you got to see this. You have to read this. So I read the article and I was pretty well convinced. And um, I put my entire IRA into basically small cap value mutual fund. And um, that was, what, 1983, 1984, 1985, mm -hmm. somewhere in there, somewhere. Um, I'm still in that same fund today, maybe being extraordinarily optimistic about my own longevity, but that's where I'm, I'm still invested. And over long periods of time, that's, uh, it's, it's the best performing asset class among equity asset classes. So, you know, when I tell people the, the 20-somethings, the 30-somethings that are in my own firm, you know, when they always ask me about how should I structure my IRA or 401k, I always tell them to put a large chunk into small cap value. I'm not saying do what I did and put 100% in. That may not be right for everybody. But, but you know, to, have, to understand that that is the, the, the thing that outperforms, the asset class that outperforms over long periods of time, and you want to take advantage of that. Rich Bernstein, thank you so much for joining us once again on WealthTrack. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Consuelo. At the close of every wealth check, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is extend your investment time horizon. As we just discussed, adding time to your holdings makes a significant difference. Over the past 80 years, the probability of losing money investing in the S&P 500 decreased the longer the holding period. A one-day investment meant a 46% chance of loss. A one-year holding period reduced that chance of loss to 31%. Extend the investment horizon to five years and the risk of loss drops to 19%. A 10-year holding period brings the loss probability down to 10%. That means a 90% chance of making money. And this track record doesn't figure in tax penalties for short-term trading or the total return benefits of dividends. One simple step to building wealth to last is to extend your investment holding period. Next week, investment legend Charlie Dreyfus on his successful winning by losing less approach in the Royce Special Equity Fund. In this week's extra feature, Rich Bernstein tells us who he looks to for investment inspiration. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.